0: Hallelujah, hallelujah. Wow, it feels good to be here. It really does. I'm, uh, I'm actually a bit surprised. And Bruce, uh, in case you wave at me, we're, let's do the video at the end. The, where's Bruce? There's Bruce. Let's do the video at the end. We have just a little video we're going to show you. But I want to jump out of, like stay in but jump off of, that would be the word. The wonderful anointing that is here right now, uh, your worship team, that was like, we just went right in there. That wasn't taxiing down the runway and then we got there. That was helicopter, like right there. So can we just appreciate the worship team again? And and it's so interesting. You know, people say a lot of things when they get up here, uh, especially showing appreciation, and I want to show great appreciation to Uh, Pastor Ramesh and Elsie, uh, for their great leadership. And uh, at times, you can feel like, God, did you call us to this? Are we adequate for this kind of thing? This is what you may have asked. And the Lord just says, you're a new model. You're cut from a different cloth. And I felt it in your home. I had an incredible time. Apart from the the fish and the meal that we had, there was just an open heaven there. I, I felt just a Wi-Fi hotspot there. A connection to heaven. And I amazingly, I felt it again when I came in here. And I'm not just saying that. And uh, for many, many years, we have judged the fruitfulness or God's presence in a church by the amount of people gathering on a Sunday morning. Haven't we? And And what I've been trumpeting all across the world right now, which I believe is just the word of the Lord, I just feel myself going into Revelation here. So is it okay if we just begin? And, and usually you preach for 45, something like that? Okay. Uh, you know, all across the world, I've been trumpeting a message, and I'm beginning to hear it even more now. It's small is the new big. Small is the new big. And there's a reason for that, because uh, God wants to use—this is what I'm seeing. God is using smaller churches, and my dad used to say to me, we have a larger church and I would want to do things quickly. I would want to reform something and move something a certain direction. And my dad would say to me, Derek, you, you've got to turn a big ship slow. You've got to do it slowly, but if it's a speedboat, you can turn it sharp and quickly. And I've seen that what God is doing in the earth today is at such an accelerated rate Because he's so desperate to reach the harvest that's out there. Because they didn't come running this morning. Maybe they will next Sunday, but they didn't this Sunday. So right now, they're out there. He's so desperate to reach them. He's accelerating the work he is doing, and he's preparing ordinary believers who are sitting right here in front of me to have extraordinary impact and anointing out there. And so he's using smaller churches that he can shift quickly into the new thing that he's doing. The Lord spoke to me this morning that you absolutely are a new model. You are a new model. You are fulfilling exactly that as small is the new big. Can you say amen? This is what God is doing here. As I uh, was upstairs, I felt that open heaven immediately, and I felt like God wants to now expand the open heaven that's over this ministry. He wants to grow it. And there are three things that jumped into my spirit during pre-service prayer upstairs, and uh, three keys for you to begin to expand the open heaven and portal that's here. I didn't mean to be so prophetic this morning, I wanted to jump into something else, but this is just what God is saying is, number one, unusual giving. Finances. Unusual giving financially. Pastor Ramesh and Elsie didn't ask me to say that. God did. (laughs) Unusual giving. Generosity needs to be part of the culture here. Unusual and radical generosity with finances needs to be part of the culture here. Number two is a healing river we need to be jumping into a river of healing in this house and you need to massage that healing anointing what i mean by massage is don't go around massaging each other necessarily but what i mean is work the anointing use your 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 front space here think of it like a river pull people up to the front. They need healing. Even if they don't get healed, pray for them to be healed. That's massaging the anointing. For a long time, I wanted the power gifts. I wanted to function in healing, and everybody I prayed for didn't get healed. One of them died right after I prayed for them. That's a true story. But I told God, I'm going to be unrelenting in pursuing this gift of healing and I I said I'm not going to read the rest of the bible I'm only going to read the healing scriptures until this begins to work and uh, that's what I did and I highlighted them in purple I wrote out in pen and put a cue card in my pocket that had the healing scriptures on them and and I would pray for every sick person I saw and I I even had a routine down where I would pray for them and lay hands and then quickly run away because they were almost never healed and I was always embarrassed But I told God, this is your problem. I'm going to keep working healing. I'm going to keep praying until this thing works. And I don't know exactly when, but at some point, the word and the anointing of healing dropped from here. The scriptures dropped from here into here. And the word of healing that now was in agreement with my spirit and not just my mind began to work itself. That word of healing began to heal the sick instead of me trying to heal the sick. Can you say amen? That's what's going to begin to happen here. You've got to utilize this, this river of healing. And the third thing the Lord spoke to me about upstairs was, uh, upstairs was extended hands. Reaching out into the community in diverse and strategic ways. Extended hands. Reaching out into the community in diverse and strategic ways. And you're going to begin to open up the heavens over this house. Do you agree with that? Just say, I receive it in Jesus' name. <laughs> now, uh, Pastor Ramesh read a great bio of mine, and it, it's all true. But where did it start? A long time ago, I had a dream. And this particular dream has become an undertone or earmark uh, or milestone in, in my life. I had been pastoring at the Embassy Church, and uh, we were leading a revival there for about seven years. Seven or eight years, just incredible meetings, and I'll talk more about that, Uh, but, you know, at at that time, we just saw incredible manifestations of the Spirit in our services. Uh, Our meetings would go till one, two in the morning. We had buses coming with people, but they were generally people from other churches coming to experience this kind of outpouring that was happening and it was spearheaded by the young people. I mean, we had incredible things. We were just seeing all the stuff. I think if you're a catch-the-fire church, you know what I'm talking about. We were just seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly, but we loved the good. (laughs) There was all kinds of stuff going on and the power of God was moving and that was my first seven years in ministry and I thought, well, what more do I want than that? Uh, I've arrived as a young minister. This is it. Fill the building. Come hear me preach. And uh, God's moving. Count the offering. Count how many people were in the seats. Let's try to grow it. And that was kind of my paradigm, my my box. And as charismatic as it was, I actually became religious with that. I don't know if you got that, but (laughs) I became religious with my and, and, and you know what God did? It, I only now know it was his mercy. At the time, I thought, I thought I was being judged. I thought I'd lost the anointing. But one day, after around the seven-year mark, he just sucked the life right out of the room. <laughs> you know, the, the revival kind of came to an end. We still had some stuff going on, but it wasn't what it used to be. And I began to function in what's called functioning in the flesh. I was trying to reproduce the old glory that once was because as a young minister, I was too immature to know that God was moving into something else. I wanted to stay back here because my paradigm was what else could be better than having full great services in the church. Are you hearing me? And so God, I didn't realize though at the time that the reason God sucked the life right out of the room, and that's not what he's going to do here, and that's not what we want him to do. Amen? We, we want it all the time. It, it, tomorrow morning in your prayer closet, we want the revival fire of God. But what he was doing was I was so attached to that side of the coin, he had to remove that side of the coin because he wanted to introduce me to the other side of the coin so that I could bring the two sides of the coin together. we could begin to merge revival and something else. And this became a terrifying journey for me as I didn't know what to do as I stood in front of 200 people. And in our Sunday service, over a thousand people. As I stood there, I didn't know what to do anymore. Preaching to the same people every week was good, but I said, Lord, there's got to be more than this. Am I really fulfilling the Great Commission? I'm being faithful as a pastor. I'm I'm doing the the work, and I'm giving my all to these precious people, but the Great Commission is talking about discipling nations. Can't I do church and disciple nations? And I found myself wanting and longing for something, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know I had become so, so religious in my box, and then the Lord had mercy on me and gave me a dream. And in this dream, I saw a coming move of God, That was taking place in the streets i saw people on corners i saw crowds getting saved and and i knew it wasn't evangelism because i i also specialize a little bit in dreams and interpretation i've got an anointing for that and i knew it represented souls being reached out there because there was a supermarket and there were people getting saved in the supermarket which represented marketplace ministry And I was seeing this incredible move of God happening out there. And I thought, well, what church? Where's this coming from? Which, Which church is this? Is this our church? And I didn't see any church. And then I was taken in the next scene of the dream to a high school. And there I saw average young people. Nobody special. Nobody in a big white suit. Nobody on a stage. Just young people laying hands on the sick. There were signs and wonders happening among young people in the school system, it was incredible to see this outpouring happening of signs and wonders through the what's been prophesied for a long time, the nameless, faceless generation. This is what I was seeing. So then the shocking part in the third portion of the dream was I was taken to a local church. And uh, I was inside this church, and I noticed that it was built up so high and surrounded by brick walls, red bricks, And even inside the church, everything was compartmentalized by these big red brick walls. But what was so shocking about this dream was the bricks were falling. (laughs) In fact, in the dream, I remember having to kind of get out of the way as these bricks were coming crashing down. And in no way did this represent the end of the age of the church or now we're in the kingdom, don't go to church anymore. I believe in the local church. I attend a local church. I pastor at a local church. Uh, If you get get enough people saved out there, guess where they want to go? They want to attend a local church. (laughs) They want to put their kids in the program. They want to have communion with you here. So I'm not one of those preachers that believes the other, just so you know. <laughs> All right? But what was being symbolized here was a shift, and, and I'll, I'll describe it further, but you know when you're having a prophetic dream, and you have a revelation while you're in the dream. God speaks to you while you're in the dream. In this dream, I had a revelation that there was a move of God, a revival coming to society, and if the people inside the church. Wanted to be part of the coming revival outside of the church, they had to pick up their brick and go out, thus extending the walls of the church to everywhere we, the church, went. Do you catch it? wasn't the end of the church. It was just now we could extend beyond the four walls. And I saw people in church picking up their brick and going out into society. And as far as the bricks went, as far as the church went, the kingdom of God was expanded. Does that sound like a good dream? Well, it had some challenges in it because in the final scene, I saw this intercessor I know, and you probably would know him too. He was on the ground floor of of uh you know catch the fire tacf years ago and uh every time he appears in one of my dreams it represents intercession and i saw that he was moving his things into the pastor's office And I thought, that's strange. Uh, Can you imagine a a busy pastor trying to return emails and this prophetic intercessory guy is is sharing the same office? And, And the Lord gave me a revelation that the pastors, unless pastors would begin to share their office with intercession, unless pastors would get on their knees and pray, they would not be able to understand the dynamic of what is coming upon us, which is arguably... One of the greatest church reformations since the book of Acts, maybe since Martin Luther. The greatest church reformation. We are in the eye of the storm right now. So I have this dream back there, and and I don't know what to do with it. And we start to pray for that thing to, to come to pass. And the challenge is I'm wanting to reach people out there. We're wanting to impact people in society. And I remember one night we had a guy come back. who He had been healed of I think some mental illness, and he stood on the stage there with his doctor's report and uh, totally healed. Incredible. And as I got into the car, and coincidentally or strangely or (laughs) by God's spirit, I felt it again this morning. And I preach a lot of places, and I felt it this morning. When I went out and got into the car after that service, after seeing that testimony... As I was driving, it's like my eyes were open to everybody out there, passing by. And I thought, dear Lord, how do we get these people? The God of the universe who made them, who loves them, who actually wants relationship with them, just showed up at 416 Taunton Road in Oshawa. And how do we let them know? Because if they met him, they would love him. And the gap suddenly was huge. I don't mean to bring a heavy on our, I see a few tears here, but the the gap between the glory in here and the disconnect out there suddenly in my eyes was massive. And I felt it again this morning and I hadn't felt it in the longest time as I walked in and the worship was going and you could feel, you could feel the tangible presence of the Lord in here. And I was just at the store, bought some fruit juice. And there's people in there that if they knew him, they'd love him. If they met him, they'd never refuse him. I think you know this scripture very well, so I'm just going to read it to you. I, I want you just to relax. But it's Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. You know it, but... I think it'll interest you, especially this morning. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. You see, the issue is with the laborers, isn't it? and what we've typically done and this usually goes over well when i when i give this example but imagine a farmer you know because we know the good seed are the sons of the kingdom and god wants to sow you into every mountain of society we know that right but imagine a farmer goes out and sows seed and vegetables spring up and then one morning he nudges his wife and gets her out of bed and he says honey look there's a harvest vegetables are ripe and and ready then then imagine they get down on their knees and they begin to intercede and pray for the harvest to grow legs and make its way into the barn all on its own (laughs) just think about that i call i call the vegetables from the north the the southeast and the west come in in the name of jesus And we're going to hold another prayer meeting at home for, we've got to get those vegetables. No. A farmer trains and equips his sons to go in and get the harvest. A good farmer hires laborers to go out into the harvest. He bellows them. That's that word Lou Engel was talking about it's where we get the English word to bellow out. bellow is a violent, radical word. It's the same term used when Jesus describes casting out a demon. It is a violent word, and when you do a study on the word ekbello, when we talk about sending out laborers, I did a deep study on that thing, and I found everywhere in the New Testament where, where it uses the word ekbellow, It's for something really negative-sounding, like casting people into hell, uh, angels into outer darkness. And I thought, dear God, why why do you use that term? Why do you use that terminology for sending us out into the harvest? That's the only time it's semi-positive. Couldn't you say something like, he he pastors me into my place of promotion? Or "He, he, he sends me to the nations with more money than I've ever had before? Or uh, he takes me out of persecution and CEO position, and, and Ekbello stories just aren't like that, are they? Many of you probably have some Ekbelo stories of where he sent you, and, and it was anything but that. I said, Holy Spirit, why do you use this term for sending out laborers beyond the four walls? And I came to an understanding that the word Ekbello is used to describe the sending of someone somewhere they are resistant to go. just you're holding on to your church chair I don't want to go out there I'd rather pray and wait for them to come in here but the problem is this is not God's way of reaching his harvest when we came into the under praise Jesus when we came into an understanding of this the drought in our services ended now we began to have both the moving of the Spirit We had bodies all over the floor. We had all kinds of incredible stuff going on, but some services we didn't do that. Sometimes we lined people up to begin to share how God was using them out there. We begin to see each person as a potential laborer that could be trained, equipped, prepared, and sent. And I came into several understandings during that time. I want to whip through a few of them quickly for you. But did you know in John, I believe it's John 4 John 5, Do you know that it actually says, that Jesus says, do not say there are still four more months and then the harvest. (laughs) Oh, the harvest is coming. One day. Rosh Hashanah, it's coming. Now, I believe in the times and seasons and epochs of God. He has times and seasons that he does things, but the harvest is not limited to that. Did you know that? The harvest is reachable as far as you are goable. This is too much for us this morning. I don't know if goable is even a word, but not gullible, goable. <laughs> but we began to understand that the issue, the problems, was with the laborers. And I remember I was trying to fit in the total training and equipping experience of laborers all on a Sunday morning. That was really hard to do because <laughs> you can't preach for more than an hour, they just go to another church where they can get out for lunch quicker. And, uh, you know, you can't really get into system building and how to, you know, do this or do that on a Sunday morning because most of the people didn't come to hear that. They've come to experience the Lord and, and celebrate and have their needs met. And that's all really good. But I ran up against the challenge of how do I train and equip laborers to send them out? And I discovered that each person right here has a ministry pulpit potential, but it might not be up here. It's out there. Every person has a spiritual inheritance that's from God. Did you know that? Your spiritual inheritance is actually your calling, purpose, and destiny. That's actually your spiritual inheritance. Not money, cars, stuff. Those things are just byproducts and blessing of kingdom living. But you actually have a calling, purpose, and destiny. If you are sitting here this morning and you are breathing... Everybody breathing? If you are breathing, even if you are sleeping, you have a calling, purpose, and destiny, and it's your spiritual inheritance. And it's connected to souls. It's connected to the harvest. Did you know that? And see, Galatians 4 says something really interesting. It says that as long as the heir, the one who is to inherit an inheritance, as long as the heir is a child, he differs not from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. And I discovered that you would never give an immature child two million dollars, would you? Even though maybe you've set it aside for their inheritance, you would never give it to them while they're too young. It's actually held in trust in a bank account. It's got their name on it. It belongs to them. But as long as they're immature, they can't access it. What I found out is that our churches are filled with people who have an incredible spiritual inheritance in the form of calling, ministry, purpose, outreach, whatever, but it's held in trust until you become a mature son or daughter. And so what happens is when you get a prophet come through town and he says, sir, I just see a million dollars over your head or "I I see you'll preach to more people than Billy Graham. What we typically do is we sit down and say, awesome, I'm waiting for that to happen. And time goes by. And we call the guy a false prophet. But actually, the prophet was reading what was in and is in your heavenly bank account. The reason it's not manifested yet is you haven't grown and matured yet. You're not a mature laborer ready to be sent out into society. So now we became obsessed as a church with training and equipping laborers to be sent out. We want to have revival in the church, and we want to see transformation out in society out in society. And guess who's called to do it? You are. <laughs> so the Lord took me through three shocks. I'm going to give them to you, to you quickly. You want to hear my three shocks? It was very hard on me. I was the guy that was saying, if you can just come hear me preach, your life will be changed. <laughs> oh, I got a shock. Here were my three shocks. Number one, I discovered that although I fancied myself a pretty good preacher, my pulpit preaching wasn't enough to change society. Maybe it's not not tough for you, but it was tough for me. They weren't flooding to hear me preach. It wasn't enough to fulfill the Great Commission, just preaching alone. Maybe Pastor Ramesh's is. But mine wasn't. You're different. Yeah. (laughs) He's the exception. (laughs) Number two. And usually pastors mostly don't know these. When I say them, sometimes they're like, oh, it's true. (laughs) I thought that the church environment that was so spiritually uplifting for everybody, I thought that. I didn't know that that's not the environment they go home to through the week. I don't want to go too far this morning, but, but I didn't know that many of the people in our church were going home to addiction, prayerlessness, fighting, not knowing how to get into the Word. They were going to their jobs, totally crippled in bringing any kind of transformation. But when they would come to church, it was this... It was a real hospital for them, which is good, but they would come to church, and somebody already paid the price for the presents up here, and you just walked into it. The worship team brought in, and you don't have that worship team with you at home, do you? Maybe your wife does, but (laughs) you, you, you don't have that at your job, do you? And I realized that we had to equip people to be... What is it? uh, Thermostats and not thermometers. We had to equip equip people in how to cultivate heavenly environment at home and out there so that environment wouldn't change them. They would be catalysts of change in any environment they would go. They wouldn't just rely on the Sunday morning environment as great as that was. That was shock number two. Are we still okay? Seatbelts fastened. Shock number three was... And I say this carefully, but I thought that people were as hungry for God and living a holy life as the leadership was, as their leaders were. And some leaders are not even. I was, it was like God opened my eyes that there was stuff going on that was holding people back from the maturity needed to step into their calling and purpose out there. And God wouldn't release people into society in their ministries if they weren't mature enough because their ministry would turn around and crush them and God cares more about your soul than he does about your ministry. Can you imagine? Churches filled with baby Christians, maybe discipled, but they don't even know what their calling or purpose is. They don't know who they could be out there if they were properly prepared. Well, those are my my three shocks. (laughs) Are you still with me? (laughs) So we discovered that if we could properly train and equip sons and daughters to help them unlock their calling and purpose, God would actually begin to open doors out there and they could pick up their brick and go out. So by nothing short of a miracle, God gave us a gift in the form of a a three-and-a-half-day training system. God answered my prayer. So now we had both. We had incredible Sunday morning services, but we also had this thing that we called, uh, Pastor Ramesh alluded to it earlier, the history maker's experience. The history maker's experience. Now, the reason Pastor Ramesh said this, and normally I wouldn't re-quote it because it looks like you're, you're not being humble, but he said, on the forefront of training and equipping. God actually is using this training and equipping thing all over the world in different forms. But we've got something unique here that we began to do where we would have a a three-and-a-half-day intensive because we couldn't do it all on a Sunday morning. Amen? And so we would have a a three-and-a-half-day intensive. It was a specially choreographed environment that was designed to bring a person to the end of their own ability where they would have to step into God's supernatural ability and go through the training. Hello. We would help them to unlock what is their destiny, purpose, and calling and equip them to execute it beyond the four walls. Now, some people are called to inside the four walls, right? Some people are called to both. But with an emphasis on the harvest, there were just so many people that didn't know what they were called to do, didn't know how to organize righteousness and go out, And so we were able to help them within this three-day environment. So we started running this thing through our church. And, you know, we were all a little bit nervous because at first, you know, in a church of a thousand, we only had like 30 people sign up. And we discovered that that was actually a good thing because we were training Navy Seals uh, for the kingdom. And small is the new big. I saw that we could do more with a small group in strategic training and unlocking than we could do with the big crowd. And... I'm sorry to say, but coincidentally, I think Jesus knew the same thing. It's why when he wanted to release a gospel that would become so systemic, you're sitting here today thousands of years later, he started with 12. He trained and equipped 12 people in a high-intensity environment. He was suspicious of the crowd, but he worked with the 12. So we put a first batch of 30 people through this, and we began to see extraordinary things. Can I tell you a few a few stories of what began to take place? I, I just I wrote them down here, uh, but Patrick Flontek, you know, he was an older man, health issues. I think he smoked. Uh, not that that's the end of the world, but you know, he had some issues, and, and he he would sit there in the in the service, and and he sat there for over twenty, maybe over twenty five years. I don't know, Bruce, how long he was there, but him and his wife would sit there, and he never led a single person to Christ, but he came to church faithfully. After he took the training. He decided to start a program that would reach senior citizens because he was coming of that age. It was called Budding with Seniors, and it was a way to connect young people with seniors who needed hope restored. Anyways, his story goes on to where he, he uh, began overseeing two seniors' churches out in the community. Two seniors' churches, and they wouldn't all come to our church on a Sunday, but he would go to them. He said, Pastor, with tears in his eyes, he said, Pastor, I I am now leading people to Christ on almost a weekly basis, many of them before they die and go on to heaven. That was Patrick Flontek, Aisha Francis. Uh, She came through the History Makers experience and got a download from God during it, and we taught her the system of how to create a program like that. She created something called Project Restore Phoebe. You may have seen her now. She's sort of becoming famous. I almost never see her anymore, but she dealt with incarceration. Her husband had been locked up. She knew what it was to go through that, and she turned that around into a program that helps rehabilitate families Where a spouse has been in prison, they help assist the family from the moment he or she is in prison all the way to reintegration into the family. And it's all based on Christian kingdom principles. She's leading people to Jesus this way. She founded it. She actually started it as a charity. She was able to leave her secular work and began to do this full-time. Now she's speaking on the world stage, bringing solutions to problems, bringing transformation to families. This was her inheritance. It was in her spiritual bank account. Marguerite McLeod Fleming. You know we have issues within our school system, don't you? You know we've got this perverse sex ed curriculum going on. And you know what? She said, Pastor, I sat in church for 30 years waiting for my, she said, waiting for my release. <laughs> that's like parole talk. Waiting for her release from the pastor or the church to go and do something. She came through the training and equipping system. She created a curriculum for the organization that's called Peace uh, International. She created the curriculum. That families use to help to educate their children so they don't remove their children from the school system but the children actually go in and know how to be a light in a dark place they know what the truth is she created this curriculum and within six months within six months of taking the history makers training that curriculum was in over 36 countries now it's 40, 40 plus nations, this curriculum went out. And it went out with the hot sauce on it. It was both revival and transformation. It was both grace and apostleship she began to function in as she came through. If She was properly trained and equipped and she became a laborer. She became a daughter that could be sown into society. <laughs> now I was a pastor that was beginning to love ministry. Because I saw that there were no limits to the church walls if people were properly prepared. Can I tell you one more? Yeah. Three more? Yeah. <laughs> I just noticed that I, I jotted down a couple others. But <laughs> Donna Lowback, she was the lady that, oh, this is a perfect one for her. She, she was a lady that would sit right here. And all she would do throughout the whole, she was an intercessor. She felt that was... All her calling was. She sat there on the front row, and she would just shake through the whole service. She was always shaking, and uh, she, when she took the training, I thought, I wonder how she's going to do. And she came through it, and uh, and she said, Pastor, I feel called to uh, to city revitalization. I'm going to work with the mayor. And I thought, I I don't know about that. <laughs> you, you're going to work with the mayor in prayer? You mean? You know? And uh, you know what? Something happened with her. She created a, proge- uh, a project called city revitalization. I still had my doubts. And uh, would you believe it? The mayor accepted it. Thought it was incredible. And wouldn't start the meeting until she was there to open in prayer 40 40 leaders. And they began to implement that. If you look her up now, she's doing things in our city of Oshawa. True story. You see, what would happen in that three days, a lot can happen in three days. Ask Jonah. Ask Jesus. (laughs) A lot can happen in three days. Dr. Carolyn Leaf says it takes approximately three and a half days to to radically shift a mindset. I discovered that the issue with impact out there and the issue with revival was not so much God not wanting to bring it. You know what I'm saying? Like we're always trying to create these secret passcodes that suddenly are going to appease this far away angry God and he's going to say, ah, you have put in the right password. I will now send my glory. No, the harvest is ripe right now. Revival can be happening right now. And I discovered the issue was not so much with the devil. Somebody defeated him already. You know what I discovered the issue was? Our stinking thinking. Mindsets. And, and a training and equipping system brings those things to the forefront. John Arnott said, he said, I, I believe it was him, he said, when revival hit, I got in touch with unbelief I never knew I had. And see, we don't know the mindsets, the religiosities, the insecurities. The reality is if God were to release you into the fullness of your calling out there right now, you'd be so terrified you would run back to the church with the tail between your legs. That point of no return is tough to cross. And that's why the people that God uses have gone through pressure and breaking and developing so that he can trust them with the harvest. We began to understand that a training and equipping environment could do that. And the supernatural was present in those in those times and still is. Every time we do the training, we had, and I, I don't always tell this story, but you're a catch the fire church, so I'll tell it. But we've had up to date two borderline illiterates, like people that borderline illiterates begin to read and write during the training. Because there's some assignments they have to do. And the first day, the guy was like, I can't write. I can't read. And as time passed on, he began to write. He went back to his First Nations Reserve and got on the, some type of government level and began pastoring. These are true stories. They're on our website. We have hundreds of stories like this. Because of the work that began when we did that in our local church, the mayor, there was such influence happening, the mayor wanted to present us with an award. So we held an event, and we invited the mayor to come. And when he came into the room, he was absolutely shocked because there were only 13 of us we only had 13 graduates at the time (laughs) so the mayor came to give this award for all you know he thought there were hundreds of us there were only 13 like like the disciples but each of these 13 had such such unlocking of their calling and purpose they couldn't believe what the kingdom of god was doing through them and of course then we began to go to the nations to make a long story short We've held 14 trainings in Bulgaria, and we've seen tangible evidence of transformation taking place in that nation. So much so, the founder of the uh, European Rule of Law Institute for Judges and Lawyers had me come and speak. I don't know what to say to judges and lawyers, let me tell you. I was so nervous, I stood up there dripping with sweat. My iPad, you would have had to wipe that thing. I was just dripping. I didn't know what to say, but they asked me to speak on the role of truth in rebuilding a former communist society and i was just i was telling the stories of and what transformation is and system building and and one by one i saw tears in the room because we had someone who was there come and testify about her ministry to the poor there We began to see this happen in 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 namibia they were blocking evangelistic ministries from coming into the nation of namibia africa because they said you hold great crusades big crowds and then you take up a big offering and you leave the country without paying taxes that was the government's issue with with people namibia